Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. Thanks for so joining Robbie, us. So, Robbie, yeah, thanks for joining us. And thanks so much for everyone for supporting our ambitious uh, effort to get out four episodes a month. We really appreciate all the support and new patrons on Patreon. Much appreciated. Um, wow, we're on the verge of multiple wars right now. Um, and it's but all, before. And it's all <laughs> the deep state's fault. Trump was overtly anti-regime change. He was anti-neocon. He, want, he was going to end all the wars in the deep state forced him to do all this stuff too it's, bad none of it's his fault at all too bad robbie uh you know he was really going to be that anti-war guy um but unfortunately once again the deep state blasted um before we get into all the wars and and this whole deep state absurdity i wanted to just go over a couple headlines that are just outrageous of course um aside from trump taking a two-week quote-unquote working vacation i mean whatever everyone everyone talks about how much he golfs but it's just unbelievable that the president in the midst of so much like horrible shit going on in the world you just take 17 days off i don't even understand how how he has that much time it's just unbelievable so he's just taking over two weeks off to do god knows what tweet and watch news about himself um on top of that twice a day it just came out from vice just came out that twice a day he's given like a propaganda packet, like a, a manila envelope of just like all the positive tweets about him, um, lower thirds on, on Fox News that are praising him, different headlines that praise him twice a day just to bolster his ego. Um, what, a, what a child. What an absolute man child. It's just really, um, I mean, it, it's I, well, the, the weird thing about that is if you actually like break down what that must mean. I didn't actually read the Vice article, and I, you know, I mean, occasionally there'll be. <laughs> Don't a, give them the traffic. <laughs> there'll be there'll be a good Vice article, like the la literally the last good Vice article I saw was an article about how someone bought a standee of Agent Cooper from the Showtime website from Twin Peaks, and they got a and in the mail they actually got a standee of Dougie Jones, which is which was almost like Twin Peaks merchandise trolling the people it was just like an article just like about twin peaks and i was like oh this is great this is like one of the best thing so i haven't i mean that but i saw that article i didn't read it um i believe it i mean but one of the things that came to mind about it was what possibly is he getting in those folders like literally like specifically here, what here kind of is. positive Ready? news here what it is, is it breitbart daily caller yes info wars Fox and Friends, Sean Hannity. Dude. I mean, like, li literally line them all up. There's really not that many. Oh, I know. That's the what's Gateway so great Pundit. about it. But that's I mean, what's so great about it. It's not even articles. It's like literally, it even says that they ha include pictures of Trump looking powerful. Holy shit. Fawning TV interview transcripts, admiring tweets. And really, that says it all. Because like you said, I mean, how often is it really that he's praised on the media. Not very often. I mean, unless you're just literally just going to drudge in Breitbart. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of these are admiring tweets and actual photos of him. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, just headlines of those of those um, sycophantic websites that just praise whatever the fuck he does. Well, I've no I noticed there was a brief moment and I and I go to drudge every day. I hate to admit that I do. And I don't go no, to it. Good. I don't go to it necessarily just to get my daily news. I go to it to see because I think his spin is very crucial to understand what's totally. happening. And it's subtle spin a lot of the time because he aggregates. So you don't. It's like so basically, 
last week, before this North Korea shit started, he seemed like he was even souring on Trump a little bit. So the tone of his front page was different. It started mm. to talk about the low poll numbers Trump was having and it's different stuff. And I was kind of like, oh, this is different, you know, from what he's normally doing. So, but now it's like all North Korea, you know, total war drums reading. You go to Dread right now and it's just full blown North Korea warmongering. My God. Kind of stuff. Um, um, it's unreal. Uh, go on. Did I just interrupt? A, no, a no. I mean, I would just, it's just. I guess to finish my point, it's just like, what could he conceivably have in those folders <laughs> other than this really garbagey partisan lockstep right wing tabloid media circuit? I mean, that would literally be the only I mean, there's very few. See, this is the thing. I would almost be it would almost be giving Trump too much credit to think that he reads anything from people who not necessarily defend his policies, but who like create. Co like cogent arguments to explain why like some of the media slams against him are false. Like some of the stuff on consortium news talking about how Russiagate's bullshit or the stuff Glenn Greenwald writes debunking Russiagate or some of the hysteria about Trump. That's not accurate. Oh yeah. No, he doesn't let that in the, like, his periphery at all. Well, that's what I'm wondering. It's like, if he was smart, if his team was smart, like truly savvy, they would be absorbing that kind of stuff and trying to use it. But I've only noticed maybe one instance where Donald Trump used something that I thought was like a smart talking point was the thing about the DNC servers not being given to the FBI. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that and that was like months after Robert Perry, you know, from Consortium News and other places were driving that point home constantly. So like he was just super late to the most important, crucial talking point, I thought, which makes Russiagate seem like it's mostly baloney. Um, but yeah, it's just weird how he just... It's like, yeah, and even his White House press pool, the people he's let in, he hasn't let in anybody from, you know, who I've just described. He hasn't let anybody in from The Intercept, from Consortium News. Um, even I don't even think anybody from the American conservative, Phil Giraldi's outlet, is in there. It's all garbage, right-wing tabloid. Like, it, he even has, like, AM talk radio hosts who, like, don't even have um, – aren't even um, – rebroadcast anywhere yeah remember it's remember really at the beginning weird, they dude. were trying to they were like we're going to start every press briefing with like a local news reporter yeah what was the, all these like right-wing like weird like small small town stations that they were just like trying to just like yeah. you know infiltrate as much of like trump supporters as they could yeah. and then now did you see the most recent thing where they like re they're reading letters from like seven-year-old children yeah it's um, fucking, starting off the it's... press briefing being like we're gonna start off by reading a letter from david a seven-year-old boy who loves donald trump yeah well i mean if that seven-year-old boy is real it almost doesn't seem like he is seems fake or his parents like forced <laughs> him to write a letter he's got like, psychotic parents um <laughs> The fact remains that Sarah Huckabee Sanders' brother is a dog murderer, and right. his his father used the power of his, uh, I think he was actually governor at the time, to try to get his son off for murdering and torturing a dog by hanging it from a tree. So those are the type of people who Trump's letting his government, I mean, it's just funny that these people are so disgusting. They are the right. worst people. And they're right. not even, I mean, and, and now that they're getting more neocon, it's even more disgusting. It's just... It's it's crazy. overload. <laughs> it's like, it is overload. I mean, every day it's something else. It's either Trump ending, you know, the the allowance of nursing home residents to sue for mistreatment. Yeah, elder um, abuse. Uh, he's removing, like, the ability for people to sue for elder abuse. One of the most rampant, untalked about, like, like nationwide forms of abuse that's extremely devastating. 
it ruins and it's also families. Like, who, what sick mf'er actually thinks to do that? I mean, is that really like a priority for these people that you're like digging into this legislation and removing like the most um, marginalized, not marginalized, but I mean, just like vulnerable people rather, you know, the sick and the elderly and the disabled. And that's who they're targeting with these crazy budget cuts. But yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable that the Medicare stuff, the Obamacare failing, and he's just like, let it fail. I, I don't want to be the one with Obamacare, um, you know, on, on my conscience. It's like, dude, this is crazy. First of all, the GOP had how many years to like come up with something? And, and the alternative was just a worse plan. Millions more people would lose their coverage and it would be cutting all of these crazy things for, for the elderly, which of course Trump, I mean, not that it means anything anything at all that on the campaign trail he was like we're never going to cut medicare while you're while you're looking at that hill article robbie did you see that assange tweet he's like totally off the rails now I mean, oh he's yeah just like I unabashedly really, i actually trump when i saw that tweet i are you talking about the one where he's talking about hiring the google guy or something even no, dumber. Oh my God. No, but tell me about that one. But first I, I the Assange tweeted between directness and the ongoing leaks, Trump is the most transparent president we've ever had. So here's the thing. Trump's a, a serial liar, pathological liar. All he does is lie. Like literally all he does is lie. He's told like multiple knowing falsehoods that he, he couldn't possibly even believe are the truth every day since he's taken office and every day on the campaign trail. So that's insane to say that he's like direct and honest. And then on the, on the other hand, Assange is actually implying that the leaks are like intentional. Like these people leaking I, <laughs> from I, the Trump okay. administration are like for transparency's sake. I just, it just, I, how did Julian Assange <laughs> all of a sudden regress into like having the faith of a Catholic schoolboy? <laughs> And the president of the United States. It's fucking disgusting. It's shameful. Isn't that bizarre? Dude, you ran WikiLeaks, one of the most important, arguably one of the most important institutions in the last decade. And this is what you choose to go out on? Like, this is but your Robbie, legacy. But it's Robbie, he, you have to admit horrifying. he is the most transparent president we've ever had. This is, I've direct seen. Direct honesty. Yeah, I, had, um, an, I you, had an interaction with him recently on Twitter. It's the first time he's, he's ever responded to me on his, on his own account. And, I, and he said something about how. Trump is surrounding himself with generals is a smart idea because like basically saying, and I'm not, I'm paraphrasing him here. He was basically saying that Trump surrounding himself with generals is a smart idea to prevent a deep state coup. Totes dude. And then super deep analysis. And then the next day, the real, the old Julian Assange that we used to like came out yeah. to play. And he said, Trump surrounding himself with the same click of generals that launched us into the Iraq war. So I took both of his tweets and Weird. I said, so which one is it? He's surrounding himself with the neocons who got right. us in the Iraq war to prevent a deep state coup, even though the deep state is basically filled with neocons. Like it, I was like, which one is it? So is he right, smart right. for surrounding himself with generals who got us in the Iraq war? Or is he smart for surrounding himself with generals for preventing a deep state coup? Because both of those to me don't are, are contra they're contradictory statements. And then he basically responded saying, well, he, it was smart at first, but it'll eventually be a mistake. Like so basically saying something like that it was a smart move, but it'll cost him in the end or something. Wow. And it's like, it's just such a weird, narrow point of view. And then I just was like, well, how do you explain Trump bringing in people who are blatantly from the deep state into his administration 
already, like Eric Prince and his sister and Rudy Giuliani and all these people. And uh, it's just funny. Every time I bring up Rudy Giuliani, people are like, oh, my God, you're, that's nuts. Rudy Giuliani, the mayor, you know, mayor of New York of the deep state. I'm like, yeah, dude, fucking look it up. Look up Manuel Noriega. Look up Anthrax. Look up 9-11 and Rudy Giuliani. You'll go into a, ra- a very dark rabbit hole. I mean, I'm dead serious. I mean, right. Eric Prince is is one of the most quintessential deep people, like faces of the deep state there is. Oh, it's unquestionable. It's I mean, this is the guy stupid. who, he, and he also wants a Christian theocracy. I mean, these people are completely, and it's not like they're not neocons. These people are just outlier extremist neocons outside of the establishment because they were considered too insane. Yeah, they didn't to tone down seriously. their neocon trajectory, their <laughs> rhetoric, as much as the other neocons wanted them to. That's the only right. reason. I, Eric Prince is not a hero. He's a fucking criminal who deserves to be in jail. Um, no. He and his sister is disgusting. They want a Christianized soldiers, a, a militarized army of Christian soldiers. Uh, she's running the education department. And you have Eric Prince paraded around the media, Robbie, talking about uh, just selling his his whole idea of privatizing the Afghanistan war. Great. Yeah. Um, that That's amazing. I'm so happy he's given a platform on, on CNN and MSNBC to... Um, pontificate about how he should take over the war after, and this is coming on the heels of the Blackwater guard who gunned down willy nilly 14 Iraqi civilians in the Nasser Square massacre. His murder charges were just overturned, as well as the other Blackwater guards that were involved in that. They're going to get out of jail because that's how much Iraqi lives matter in this country. What a disgrace. Yeah. How, how weird is it, too, that 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 positive news came out for him right when he's doing this PR tour. I mean, is there any connection to those two events? I don't know. Great Did the question. Trump administration convince a judge to to let his employees off? I don't know. That's all speculation. But it is odd that he's successfully cleaned up his image to this degree. And not just in the sort of the mainstream sphere, but like the alt-right loves this motherfucker. They love him. And he's planting seeds constantly to like create conspiracies and talking points for them. I mean, he was, he was planting seeds for Pizzagate long before people were even calling it Pizzagate um, on Breitbart radio stations and stuff. So um, I just think it's very interesting how this term, the deep state has been become basically a household term now, like within the last four months. I mean, I, I, is that, would you say that's accurate? Like in the yeah. last few months, yeah. it's risen to this level of popularity. So no, it's it's great that you mentioned the deep state, Robbie, because I, I actually meant to go through that article that you posted about, you know, what is the deep state? This term is thrown around a lot um, without any sort of deeper context or analysis, and it can really mean anything. And, it, and it's kind of like saying anti-establishment. It's kind of this loaded term that that is used for and, and used to kind of co-opt a lot of this energy. Um, and confuse people, honestly, because I think it's a, it's basically, this is the problem that I see is when any term like this, that has real legitimate meaning, that's not that, that has, that did have sort of an open-ended definition to begin with can be co-opted by a group and just watered down and dumbed down to the point where it ultimately becomes meaningless. And that's why people, you know, People who are poo-pooing the idea of the deep state are now saying, oh, you mean like the Illuminati? Ha ha. I mean, the, in seriousness, the deep state is a very real thing. And we've and the public has known about it ever really ever since the church committee. That was sort of the public's exposure to the deep state in a, in a lot of ways. And 
um, the problem is, is that it's ne- it never previously meant partisan holdovers from the old administration or loyalists to a previous previous sitting president. It always meant a continued continuity between presidencies and policies that basically transcended whoever is in office, no matter what. So, you know, a lot of people have been using this idea that, oh, the deep state wants us to go to war with Russia, which in, on some level is true. That's, we, we've known that, that there's been a slowly moving, but deliberately escalating propaganda campaign between the U.S. and Russia to raise tensions and raise the stakes. But where, where they get lost is now it's turned into this sort of partisan talking point where they think that that mean, must mean that the deep state is against Trump, that it's somehow that the deep state is in opposition to Trump and that Trump is, in essence, a bulwark to the deep state, that he's sort of standing in the way of their agenda, which in my mind could not, it, it could not be more wrong. That, I mean, that is a very naive narrow point of view to have that is to me very dangerous because if you really want to like really pull back from all of this and get a little conspiratorial if the deep state is this powerful why why did they uh like you know if the deep state was behind hillary and not trump how could they have lost the election right so how badly could they have let her, yeah so i think people need to start playing with this possibility in their minds that perhaps the deep state wanted Trump in office for some Mm -hmm. reason. And Mm -hmm. that's a very scary thought. If you really play that out, why that would have been the case. And I'm not saying... The only reason, if the deep... Whatever you want to believe about the deep state before the election, there is absolutely no question that they are gleeful of the fact that Trump is... You know, because at at first he was unpredictable. No one knew what he was going to do. But now that he has built his cabinet entrenched with the the military-industrial complex and deep state officials and and neocon outliers, they are absolutely sure and secure in in this man to push forward their extremist legislation and and all the wars they want to push. I mean, that is absolutely undeniable at this point. and And I think that on the surface, it's easy for people to say that's not the case because of people like Bill Kristol still crying and screaming about Trump because of all these neocon neoliberals who form this consensus who are still acting like Trump is the worst thing in the world. But at the same time, you see the proof is in the numbers. Lockheed Martin stock is going through the roof. Raytheon stock is blowing up. All time high after Trump's tough rhetoric against North Korea. Exactly. So to me, it can be distilled to that. If the military industrial complex is already reaping benefits from Trump's crazy saber rattling, it doesn't matter. None of it. None of this other shit matters. Exactly, Robbie. I was just arguing with someone who who still was telling me that Trump is anti-war, and I just said, "Look, what a dumb motherfucker." I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Mental I just, gymnastics it's so aside, dumb. no, it's insane. And I just said, "Look." And, and, and I posted this new piece of artwork called Mowing the Lawn. And, of course, I got a million mansplainy comments saying, no, this is an Israeli military term. It's not just an Israeli military term. U.S. officials use it as well. John Brenner, a lot of other people's uh, – I'm sorry, Brennan, whoever was the, the, the guy CIA, who was yeah. like doing the drone warfare for Obama. He, he openly said, we mow the lawn. You have to, you have to cut the lawn and, until it grows back. So anyway, that aside, people were so pissed that I didn't include in Obama and that image. And I just said, look – Obama's not president anymore, first of all. First of all. Second of all, Trump has increased drone strikes 400% and killed more civilians in the last six months than Obama's last two years. So if you want to feign like you give a shit, 
Maybe don't say that because you sound like a complete douchebag by concern trolling me about Obama. Meanwhile, Trump has ramped up drone wars four times as much. And that's just one aspect of the military industrial complex of all the wars going on of the empire perpetuating and permeating throughout the world. That's just one aspect of how much he has exacerbated this. Well, it's exactly right. And it's, it's just really frustrating to watch people who act like and who claim they're anti-war still super fixated on Obama and Hillary. And they, it's like they can't get out of their cycle. Right. And yeah, I'll call out people like H.A. Goodman and, and even Tim Black again, because as much as I think they're likable guys and they say a lot of shit that I like, like the amount they talk about Trump's policies compared to like Hillary Clinton, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the Owan brothers this long into Trump's presidency is fucking absurd. Like it's, it's, it doesn't, it's inexcusable if you're like a progressive and anti-war, it does not make sense. I really think people are like stuck in a very weird pattern where they cannot, um, they cannot see that what's actually happening here. Um, I mean, especially this Awan brothers thing, like there are actual progressives who are more worried about the Awan brothers scandal than they are about Trump escalating war with North Korea. Like, that's how fucking weird and warped what's happening right I now. I don't even is. know what that is. See? Yeah. You don't, it's, it's, it's such a, it, I mean, I don't even want to break down what it is. People can find out about it. Um, some IT workers that were working for Debbie Wasserman Schultz did some illegal things, hacking or something with computers what? and people are trying to associate it with Seth Rich and the DNC oh, hacking thing. Oh no. But here's the problem. Yes. All those people are fucking corrupt. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Donna Brazil, Hillary Clinton, Podesta, they're corrupt as fuck. Obviously, they are. But they lost. They lost. So, yes, it's fine to still focus on them and want to go after them and want them to be held accountable for whatever they they did, crim, criminal, you know, criminality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But right now... I just think it's very it's it's crucial that people don't take their eye off the ball, which is the Trump presidency. Um, it doesn't matter how absurd Russiagate is and how bullshit it is. There are plenty of things Trump is doing that should concern you if you are on the left or you're progressive. And if you're not concerned, I, I feel like you're really not doing your job right now, especially if you have a platform like you're really, really not doing your job. Um and I just, I really, I just, it's, it's really upsetting. <laughs> well, no, I mean, two things uh, to that note is that recently, you know, first of all, the intellectual bribery of the two party dictatorship, um, when it comes down to who are you going to vote for the lesser of two evils every time? I mean, I'll never forget when Joe Biden looked, looked us dead in the eye at the debate and said, who's going to protect your right to choose. Um, that has always been kind of the, the core nexus of the the democratic party to hold on and and maintain you know the base of women and 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 um progressives essentially because they always say who's going to do that for you you know who's going to who's going to keep roe v wade on the books um amazingly robbie they just came out saying they are considering actually taking in anti-choice candidates um there there's an argument at the at the center of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee about whether whether or not they should fund and support um people who don't support abortion because they want to open their tent again Holy moving fuck. moving right so tim um, kane was just the beginning basically. just the tip of the iceberg baby and he was just overtly the tip of the anti-abortion right yep he was like i'm pro choice like for you he was like but i like i'm vehemently against abortion personally robbie speaking of um just kind of this capitulation to the Republicans and stuff. 
uh, Politicon just happened. It was like this big political convention that I, I'm, it, it's kind of out of the periphery of my world and stuff. So I didn't really even know about it until after it happened. But the two big debates at Politicon were Jank Uger versus Ben Shapiro and Anna Gasparian versus Ann Coulter. Um, which is shocking, first of all, that Ann Coulter and Ben Shapiro are considered like the, you know, like the, the other side of the discourse that we need to be debating and putting their, their ideas in the marketplace, you know, like Ann Coulter's like crazy xenophobic um, psychosis. We're going to throw that out there in the marketplace of ideas and actually take it seriously on, on a, in a debate. So I was surprised, first of all, but I was, I was even more shocked when I watched it. Um, ben Shapiro is a detestable pissant fuckboy who is like an uber capitalist apologist, open disdain for the poor, open disdain for for basically anyone who's who's not like a wealthy like entrepreneur. Um, he ended up trapping Jenk into an argument about tax brackets for the entirety of the hour. Um, all Jenk Uger had to do was bring up military spending, defense budget, shave off ten percent of that defense budget. Medicare for all done just won the argument. Um, so I was really surprised that there was no sense of urgency about the cataclysmic wars and climate change on our horizon and the outrageous military spending and how, you know, everything else is really kind of nullified when you look at the amount of military spending in the budget. And the fact that that wasn't mentioned, I felt like was a hugely missed opportunity and really depressed me because I felt like hundreds of thousands of, of young people engaged with politics are watching this and I felt like there was a really, um, it was a big disappointment, Robbie. I, yeah, I completely agree. I just, I only watched maybe three or four minutes of it and I was, um, I was embarrassed and ashamed. I couldn't even watch it. Um, so, uh, I just don't understand why they're hoisted up as the voice. Like, I mean, in, in, in all honesty, at this point in time, with where Chank and Anna's politics have gone, the fact that they're basically towing the mainstream media and neoliberal line on Venezuela, on Russiagate, two very crucial issues that I think are very important. Um, they have completely gone in a different direction than me. I don't really understand what debating with someone like right. Ann Coulter solves. Like, right. It's not for me, th this whole idea, it's like, well, if you disagree, then have a debate. It's like, no, I, I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I'm, that's not my jam. Like, wh why should I have a debate with someone who's a total phony piece of shit? I'm not, that's not, what's the point of that? Someone who's like a charlatan and a theatrical performance artist like Ann Coulter. I mean, it's probably fairly hard to win a debate with someone like right. that because they're not standing on principled ground. And what's amazing is that five years after Occupy Wall Street and the financial collapse um, and, and the knowledge that Wall Street was manipulating the global economy and, and, you know, purposefully selling all these all these loans that they knew were bad. It's astounding to me that someone like Ben Shapiro can be popular, someone who literally argues that banks are altruistic, mm -hmm. that political bribes are good and necessary. We have, I mean, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense when you look at Trump as, as our president and he's running the country like a business and he's just putting in all, you know, stocking the cabinet full of literal CEOs. But I just don't get it because I guess I thought that, that the consciousness of this country was far beyond that, where we, we were cognizant of how mm -hmm. destructive Wall Street is and how like absurd money in politics is. So, you know, coming from that angle, I was like a little bit alarmed. I was like, damn, like this is crazy that so many people love what you have to say. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I'm, and I think um, it's all be, just come down to like buzzwords and talking points. Like mm-hmm. I think if you really polled people anonymously on things like single payer healthcare, you would have a consensus. I mean, you would have um, a lot of people from the conservative side saying that they would want you know full health healthcare coverage and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, a lot of this time, a lot of the times I see stuff like that, I just don't. Like, yeah, the audience, you know, seem really into Ben Shapiro or whatever, but so do like the audiences at Milo stuff. And even right. on terms of like a performance art comedy level, he's not even funny or that clever. So it's like, it's almost like, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's almost like you're watching a, a it's like you, when you go see a band, a local band and the, half the audience is like filled with their friends on the guest list yeah, or something, totally. you know, like that's, it's not like, to me, right. that's what a lot of this conservative media stuff is, is they're very loud and very good at like making it seem like they have these vast numbers the facts, of, of yeah. in their armies. The statistics, it's all about statistics. Yeah. And now that they're like doing this, this hilarious, like childlike, you know, mimetic warfare shit on the internet. And they think that's all like, gonna win you know fight the establishment or whatever like now that they're doing that and on the internet it's even like more distorted you know every con you'll see racist and like crazy conservative comments like in every youtube video now like talking about libs and obama and like just in random youtube videos like you'll go all any you know watching like a youtube review of the new spider-man movie and you'll see like a comment about how obama is a lib and how you're a shit lib and all this stuff. It's like you're a cut. Yeah. This is what all these conservative retarded children have done is they just think that by littering the internet with comments everywhere and like blasting everything that it's going to like make, you know, people on the left scared and run away or something. I mean, it's just very childish behavior. Shockingly, the majority of the Young Turks comments on their YouTube videos are from like conservative trolls because I looked at their Uh Venezuela footage because I was like shocked. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just like, damn, I wonder if anyone's like kind of correcting some of the stuff in the comments. And I was like, what in the hell? It was like a very weird concerted effort to like totally try to like take over all of their comments by like Reddit people Mm -hmm. and be like, yeah, like all the people were like, yes, the young, the young cucks defending socialism. It's like, first of they all, weren't. they're not socialists. And second of all, what? <laughs> like, this is who's like commenting on the Young Turks. This is very weird. Yeah, the internet <laughs> gives, I mean, it's unfortunately, and I think a lot of this, the, the, the sad part to me is the internet is so powerful now that it carries over into reality. It creates a reality like in real life that's like a, almost like a false one, like a representation of that, you know, um, so I, yeah, I, I mean, I, that's to me where I like what I f- felt when yeah. I was watching the audience, like cheering for Ben Shapiro. Um, so we don't want healthcare. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention this story really quick. Cause I think it really says it all, especially when we're talking about Democrats and, and how they are moving, right. Shifting, right. Um, while everyone else is shifting left, of House Democrats just voted for a bigger spending bill than Trump even proposed. Um, You know, Trump was proposing the biggest spending bill ever, um, rebuilding uh, America's defenses, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Literally putting in the PNAC plan. Yeah. Um, $700 billion, well beyond what Trump proposed. 60% of Democrats voted for it. The single biggest section of the discretionary portion of the budget is military spending. We all know that. Um, according to reports, $125 billion is wasted, 
um, every year or two years within this this budget. That's a lot of money. Think about how much that could that could uh, how how many people could be covered with healthcare with 125 billion dollars. It's the only agency in the in the government that can't pass an audit, and it's handed the largest largest check ever. Um, you know, as we're facing these multiple fronts of different countries and potential wars, I mean, to give this kind of blank check to the Trump administration is extremely dangerous. Um, every single major new weapon system have been complete money holes. The F-35 program, a trillion dollars, I think I read that there it was completely thrown on this crazy military program. And then you look at the, the investment to these people very measly, actually. Only $11 million were given to the people who voted for this budget in 2016. So that's how little it takes to completely buy out these, these gutless politicians. When you say that, do you mean specifically like inside their, like they have rolled into the bill, like things like um, things for each of their district that they get? No, I was just saying, no, 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 that, that they got $11 million from the defense contractors, like before they voted for it. That's how much funding these Democrats got in 2016. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying the, dem- the, the for their elections and their races and stuff. Yeah. Actually, um, no, Democrats and Republicans. So think about how that's that's not that much money to just sell your, your total soul, is it? It isn't. I mean, so that's the, that's the thing. It's like the defense industry, I'm sure, does... Of, is very much in the top tier of lobbying efforts in DC and like funding elections and trying to, you know, uh, put up like, like promote or not promote candidates, but like, you know, fund candidates. But I don't think that, I think a lot of it is that they, a lot of people in the, in the house believe in American exceptionalism and really truly believe that this is a good thing for us, for our protection and our safety. Like this, they're very locked into the PNAC mindset already. But every year they have to increase it. Like, yeah. what is what is the threat growing? That's what I mean. I don't year. even think it's because of like their bribe. I don't even think it's like the defense industry bribing them is motivating them to do this. I think it's just it's just they're so locked into this, almost like the cult mm-hmm. of American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we need to maintain the liberal world order. I mean, it's like totally it's the Robert Kagan philosophy. On all these people, I mean, not all of them, but most, the overwhelming majority of them believe it very strongly. I mean, what I found hilarious, Robbie, we've talked about Joe Rogan, Josh Rogan, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Two very different people. Joe Rogan, good. Josh Rogan, bad. Josh Rogan is Eli Lake's writing partner. They're both complete stenographers. Shills in DC planted a bunch of fake news stories that have bolstered and, and provoked wars over the years. Um, I, I love this article that he wrote because it's just ex- going along with what we're saying. This empire baby apologist, Josh Rogan, sad, sad that Rex Tillerson is removing the pretense of promoting democracy on their mission statement. He, he wrote an entire article about how, like, how, what message is this sending? It's like, who gives a fuck what message? Do you think we're promoting democracy, bro? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what's so interesting <laughs> about the neocon hatred and i would call josh rogan a neocon and his buddy eli lake too even though they want to pretend like they're other things at different times um i would even call eli lake like a straight up lakudnik i mean that's yeah, some of his totally. views on arabs Say what and that muslims means. he's like bloodthirsty sometimes right. um but josh rogan specifically um 
it's just really funny because I think that he's sort of echoing what someone like Bill Crystal is really upset about. It's not that Bill Crystal is upset that Trump is ending the military industrial complex or any weird pipe dreams that Trump supporters think have invented. It's that he's lowering the dignity of the office. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that to them, exactly that basically undoes the rebranding campaign that Obama basically was to undo all the damage from the Bush era. So Boom. it's it's almost like Trump is turning the clock back to that era of damage to the American brand. And they cannot, it's like intolerable to them. And the fact that they're basically dropping the pretense, like you said, it's a pretense. It's not really about spreading democracy. The fact that Tillerson sort of dropped that pretense, that's what's really upsetting to them. It's not that we're not going to promote democracy anymore because they know that that's not what it's really about. I mean, even Robert Kagan admits that. He's, he's said several times that it's a, always a hybrid of the two, self-interested motives and altruistic motives, like acting as if there's always some kind of altruistic motive. But he acknowledges that there's a large component of it is always a selfish motivation. It's not for promoting democracy. It never was. But because we're dropping the, the pretense in some degree, even though maybe, you know, I don't really believe that we are. That's what really upsets the neocons, I think. Robbie, I think that's like the best argument, actually, that I've heard for why the deep state, quote unquote, doesn't like Trump. Yeah. Even if that were true, even though we, we yeah. already debunked that and it, on its face. But even that, I mean, well, that's what so Daniel true. Wright. I mean, Daniel Wright and me talk about this on a pretty mm-hmm. regular basis. And that, I think, it's what it boils down to for him. And I think he kind of nailed it on the, I mean, hit the nail on the head in that specific way. But it is still confused. I mean, it's like, is that really though? Like, is the deep state that, con- you know, the quote unquote deep state that concerned about that? No, I mean, no, I think this is, I think this is more of almost like the neo-libs who are like super upset because they're all about that kind of humanitarian interventionism. Or the pretense um, of it. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. Yeah. So maybe yeah. maybe this is kind of looking at, okay, this is why the neoliberals hate him, because he's removing and shattering this notion that America really spreads democracy around the world. And then, of course, the deep state thinks that he's too much of a wild card. But as we already mentioned, the deep state is the military-industrial complex, and they're making out like, what? Nobody's business. So it it just debunks all of that. Um, and I wanted to well, – let's jump to the – because I, I, I didn't get a chance to talk about this on my – on the last podcast I did about Afghanistan, but since we last, you and I did the podcast, um, they have, the neocons have rebranded once again with a new think tank called the Alliance for Securing Democracy, um, which opened up a few months ago. It's not exactly PNAC 3.0. If you want to call foreign policy initiative PNAC 2.0, it's you could say this is PNAC 3.0 because it's got a lot of the same players, but the new thing about this is this is the eventual part bridging the partisan divide that I talked about in a very heavy agenda that they were trying to do with the foreign policy initiative. This is like a full, fully successful, fully realized version of that vision, and I'll explain why right now. Is that this the Alliance for Securing Democracy? is headed by the Foreign Policy Initiative's old manager, Jamie Fly, um, which, you know, on its face, it's like, oh, okay, it's another neocon think tank, but it's not exactly correct. The board members include Bill Kristol, Michael Chertoff, um, the guy behind uh, Bush's Homeland Security and the Rapiscan 3D body scanners, Mike Morell, 
a former Obama CIA head, the guy who said we need to kill Russians and Iranians to teach them a lesson on the Charlie Rose show. He's a huge Hillary supporter, huge Hillary guy. Basically runs like a national security think tank for like the like Hillary before before the election. Uh, Michael McFall, huge Hillary supporter, U.S. ambassador to Russia, one of the biggest pushers of RussiaGate. Julie Smith, um, Obama national security. I mean, sorry, I think Biden national security advisor. Um, she's uh, she has her fingers in all these transatlantic. Uh, DC think tanks like the Atlantic Council, Brookings, um, and Jake Sullivan, who is like this young sort of pissant guy who's in tons of the Hillary emails and 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 uh, Podesta email leaks. Um, so this is basically the first think tank that was formed with the vision of a bipartisan foreign policy consensus that specifically includes like the worst neo, like the most infamous neocons um and the cnas um was already sort of in that vein before this but it was the only the most neocon guy in it was robert kagan and maybe eric edelman but i think they are not really known to most people as being neocons so but this is like the fully realized version of the neocon neoliberal consensus and you called it years ago, Abby, on this podcast, mm-hmm. and when we used to talk about this all the time, is that the war on hacking or the war on cyber terror is this sort of new terrain that they're working in, this new framework. And their entire mission statement, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, the name, is about how we need to secure our democracy from like threats to our elections now because of Russiagate and, and the Russian meddling into our election. And it's implying that we need to like protect our democratic process from these threats, Russian interference and stuff like that. So this is, I mean, to me, this is, it's over now. Like there is no, it's, I don't think there's going to be very much pushback against neocons at this point from within the mainstream because they've completely like coalesced with the neoliberal democratic consensus now. What is their mission statement exactly? I'll read it right now. Yeah. Um, so their website is securingdemocracy.gmfus.org. It's funded by the German Marshall Fund. So it's got some like international yeah. you know, backing. Um, so their mission statement is, in, a, in 2016, American democracy came un, under unprecedented attack. The government of the Russian Federation... Attempted to weaken the pillars of our democracy and undermine faith and confidence in our society's most fundamental right, the ability to choose our own leaders. This effort was only the latest of Russia's repeated and ongoing efforts to undermine democratic institutions and influence free and democratic elections throughout Europe. Its success has led Vladimir Putin to conclude that disruption is effective and comes with little consequence. And then it goes, it goes on and on oh and God. on to say. But so it's the, 100% like an anti-Russia. Oh, absolutely. This oh is like God. straight up. This is a think tank in the era, the new era. It's no longer the war on terror. It's going to be the war on cyber terror. Um, and the it says at the very bottom, this bipartisan transatlantic advisory council brings decades of experience in national security, intelligence, cybersecurity, Russia, Europe, and politics to work of the initiative. This council will provide overall advice, guidance, and direction, blah, 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 blah. But it mentions cybersecurity and, mm-hmm. and that kind of 
thing several times. I mean, it's that's mostly what it's about. And it's already putting out press releases and th- news items that have already gone to places like the WAPO or Washington Post and New York Times and different outlets saying that, um, like basically doing Bellingcat style research, saying like we found a Russian bot swarm, you know, trying to spread. Basically, their whole thing right out of the gates is saying that McMaster is being smeared and and by Russian fake news and bot swarms ran by the Russian government. Yeah, there's that new like Russia propaganda tracker too. At the same time, yeah, and out. I think actually that has that was actually partly done by the Alliance for Securing Democracy. Unreal. And then MIT just released like a new fake news fact checker thing, which um, I couldn't get access to the actual scientific study they use, but it's like the public version of it is like completely opaque. They don't explain which fake, how they determined a website was fake news, which websites are in the database. I was looking through it and it seems like only a few left-wing sites were. Um only like a handful of them. Like I'm trying to remember which one. The Free Thought Project was in there. Um, there was another one that that you've been on a long time ago, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. That's I can't crazy. remember off the top of my head. But basically, yeah. yeah, this is. It's like now they were over like another in another stage of RussiaGate. It's like this is what they're. This is to me where they're really codifying their their agenda. That is absolutely fascinating. We have to be on top of this new think tank who's who's exactly on the board is there well i just went again i I mentioned the board members already but i mean if you go to i mean the 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 most all of them not all of them i mean okay so we'll we'll link to it tumas ilvis is an interesting one because he is the president of estonia and uh he was like very hysterical about russia and the ukraine and he was saying shit that like no other Eastern European leaders were. Like it did seem like the U.S. had sort of egged him on to acting like Russia was about to invade him. And I remember years ago, Jamie Kirchick got like an exclusive interview with this Estonian president, like acting like the sky was falling. It's like Hilarious, this, like in 2014. Dude. Oh my god! Speaking of Jamie Kirchick, of course, um, who was on the FBI and and Bill Kristol's henchman, but he wrote he just wrote an article in the L.A. Times calling me an idiot. Um, because he's just such a child. Love oh yeah, it. he had to take us. He had to snipe at you in an L.A. Times article about how everybody who supported Chavez is eating crow right now because of what's happening in Venezuela. And it's basically about how left-wing celebrities are feeling really dumb right now, you know, because of of how obviously awful the situation is in Venezuela. And this is all, you know, their fault for supporting Chavez and promoting him and all this shit. And it's just like it goes to me. It just goes back. Take it all the way back to look at a Chavez speech talking about Israel or Bush. It is fucking hardcore shit. Yeah. He's saying stuff that, um, I mean, he, he talks about the World Trade Centers being blown up and shit like that. I mean, this is an, a world leader who severely upset core key members of the net of the u.s intelligence sector yeah he was housing william rodriguez cindy sheehan greg palace i mean he was he was working with greg palace to investigate oil companies i mean it, it was no joke no A- and what he sparked across latin america i mean let's get into venezuela right now Let, let's talk about this because we already did a whole podcast of course about the trip but but shit is ramping up day after day in the wake of this election that they just had so let's get this out of the way um, Venezuela is not a totalitarian dictatorship. Maduro's not consolidating power. 
In fact, it's the opposite as someone who was just there for nearly a month. Um, Jamie Kirchick's article is laughable because he's, you know, he's mocking me for showing this kind of quote unquote propaganda tour where I'm walking around supermarkets, yet he cannot deny that I walked around supermarkets and showed that they were fully stocked. So was that set up by the government? You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. But there was just this massive election in Venezuela called the Constituent Assembly, and I have an entire episode just about that that you can check out where they elected about 540 delegates um, to redraft, uh, make amendments to the to the constitution that Chavez created. Look, our constitution has been in place for um, 200 plus years. Um, we haven't changed it since the amendments were first put in place. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with our constitution that I wouldn't mind kind of uh, revamping to current day. So, you know, it's not that crazy to think that they want to strengthen their constitution. But, of course, it sounds crazy to the news because they, they think, oh, he's re- rewriting the constitution to, to, to consolidate power and to hold on to power. What they're missing is two things. A, there's a presidential election next year. All right. If the, if the opposition has the majority on their side, there should be absolutely no problem with going forward with a democratic process. B, unlike America... Venezuela has one of the best um, electoral systems in the world where every single vote is made with a thumbprint and a paper receipt. So like, like in this recent election, the Constituent Assembly election, these people who are elected, not only will they, you know, not, not only did 8 million people come out verifiably. So all these people who are calling fraud and shit doesn't make any sense because they always audit their elections because the opposition always calls fraud and they're always verified. So 8 million people just came out. That's an enormous number. Um, 42% voter turnout, considering that the opposition was completely boycotting these elections, which really, what, it, what does it tell us? It tells us that Bolivarian revolution's far from dead, Chavismo's far from over, and that these people's voices are totally eliminated. 8 million people came out to support this process. And here's another thing that the mainstream media is missing. Those 545 delegates or whatever, I, I maybe one or two off, they, whatever changes they draft is going to put forward to a general vote for all Venezuelans. So no matter what happens with this constituent assembly, everyone's going to be able to vote on it. So very huge things being missed in the media. Meanwhile, you know, during this election, 200 polling places were attacked. An IED was set off, um, killing, uh, I think, a police officer, a giant bomb. Ten people were killed that day. The vast majority, of course, of the deaths of the 120 deaths since the unrest started is caused by the opposition. And, and we have an entire episode as well on that that breaks that down. So to know this... And then to see the media condemning Jeremy Corbyn for literally saying that there's violence on both sides. Like after weeks and weeks of all this pressure being like, are you going to condemn Maduro? Are you going to condemn Maduro? Um, he, he finally was like, I condemn the violence from the protesters and the state forces. And everyone's like, oh, oh my God, how dare you? How dare you? It, it, it's unbelievable. So. I just, I just can't believe it. And then you have the Young Turks saying that this constituent assembly replaced the parliament. You have the BBC doing this giant report following around the protesters, just like I did, except they're saying the protesters are, an, are a necessary buffer to protect from the brutal repression. So they're like absorbing the shockwaves of all the brutality, not mentioning that they're burning people alive who are black or, or burning down food yeah. warehouses. The, this, is this, this is the nutty thing about what's happening and your coverage really shows very clearly that this is happening is that it's not like 
you know, during the Arab Spring, I, and I'll have to, I know I brought this up last time we talked about this, but I had to bring it up again, is there were a lot of just mass rallies, like in Egypt and stuff, where there was no violence, by, by like on behalf of the protesters. And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, there was like incidents like that reporter got raped, like gang raped in, right. in, um, in Tahir Square and stuff like that. I mean, there, there, I mean, so I'm not saying that the protesters were, you know, pure of heart and all of them are great people. I'm just saying that the, it's like the police were cracking down on them, like without any like violence coming from the protesters at all. The situation in Venezuela is like the opposite where anytime there's like a mass peaceful protest, like they're the police don't fucking like beat the shit out of them. And like, they like, like hurt people in those instances. It's these, it's the Garimba protesters and, and the people who are like trying to do these street actions to get the riot police to like come at them, like from out, like from nowhere. Um, or they go ahead of like another peaceful protest. It does. It is similar it's like it's basically like black block here, but on like steroids, and it's not even in response to like the police brutalizing them. I mean, that's that's the reality of what's happening there. Absolutely. So it's very very bizarre that the media is even trying. Like, it's one thing for the media to represent what was happening in Libya as like the police, you know, Gaddafi ordering the police to like murder peaceful protesters, right? Even though there was like. That happens so quickly. It's like, wait, did he really, was he really doing that? Or like, are we sure we're not jumping the gun here? But it's like, there's no evidence at all that that's happening here. It's completely made, it's like made up out of thin air. Yeah. It's really, really surreal. Um, yeah. So I just, it just blows my mind that people like the Young Turks are towing that line. I mean, it's virtually identical to the mainstream media's tone and take on Venezuela. Isn't that identical. crazy about the elections too? Like they they have so many elections. It's like this was just an election. Then there's another vote. Then there's an election next year. It's like what is th- this call about a dictatorship? Well, this is how they Abby, this is how they play it. Is anytime there's an election in a country they call a dictatorship, they just say it was a fake election or it was rigged. That's what they, that's all they have to say. Because as long as they say that, then it's like, oh, then well then it is a dictatorship. I mean, because if it's Rick, you know, so it's like, that's it. That's all. I mean, that they don't have to make a, an actual coherent argument as to why the Maduro presidency is a dictatorship. I just looked up Venezuela Constituent Assembly because I was trying to find the turnout. Mm-hmm. And I at every single article is calling it fake. And then, and then they're all quoting these opposition people. Yeah. Mind you that two weeks before this Constituent Assembly election, the opposition held like a mock referendum mm-hmm. where they, they had their own vote to try to protest the Constituent Assembly. They said 7 million people came out. Okay, those numbers were, they didn't have audits. They didn't have thumbprints. They burned all the ballots after. And the media took that at total face value, repeated it ad nauseum, saying, wow, look at how many people support the opposition. No, that wasn't even an election. It was like a fake referendum for PR purposes. But then two weeks later, there's an actual election with verifiable results, but that's fraudulent. It just... I just can't. And then you have the U.S. Treasury Secretary. Who the hell is this guy? I don't know anything. I need to look him up and like really dig dig to the bottom of who this motherfucker is. So he announces, by the way, Maduro was just directly sanctioned. So we're going to get into North Korea next, but Maduro was just directly sanctioned. The reason that this is insane is because this is the fourth leader in the history of the U.S. to be blacklisted in this way. Only the fourth person 
Who are the other people? Assad, Kim Jong-un, and Zimbabwe's president. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that absolutely incredible? It's so, nuts. and and why why was he sanctioned directly? Because of the Constituent Assembly. Because they had an election. Because they celebrated a democratic process. So we sanctioned them directly. Um, and and here's Maduro's response: The emperor, the emperor Donald Trump, took decisions against me that shows his desperation and hate. I did not. I do not obey orders from foreign governments and never will. Sanction me as you wish, but the Venezuelan people have decided to be free, and I am the independent president of a free nation. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more, Maduro. Um, and 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 then he also said, "What do these imperialists in the United States think they are?" The government of the world. Well, that really says it all. Unbelievable. Oh, damn. I know. It's like, what do you even say about this? I mean, it's just I'm I'm sitting here day to day just trying to combat some of this crazy propaganda. But it's like so it's everywhere. It's every time I try, I was I watch BBC now instead of our media, because at least you learn about other countries. It's not like, oh, Russia is not the only story uh-huh. in the world or Trump tweets. It's like, oh, China. Oh, oh, remember China? Here's what China's doing. Here's what's going on in Korea and Europe. And it's amazing. I mean, but of course, it also is like just full of imperial propaganda and and fake news and stuff, too. And and the BBC report was just audaciously laughable. Um, so, you know, we got to combat this, especially the Venezuela stuff, because everyone is failing and that includes progressive media i feel like it's almost worse than syria oh i think it's far worse i mean and the fact that the um i I don't remember which socialist organization it was but like right before this happened dsa so mainstream no 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 no, jacobin or something it might have been okay jacobin supposed to be like a marxist magazine or outlet right totally bullshitty pieces on venezuela how the left is Wrong. I, I don't even remember what the title of the article was, but it was just like basically towing, towing the same bullshit. And then again, and then like leading up to, you know, this Venezuela sanctions talk, um, a, 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 a socialist, like mainstream socialist group, not mainstream, but like a big one announced why we need to give man pads to the, um, to, to the Syrian rebels who are Marxist. Um, yeah. Or socialist, the Kurdish Workers Party, the deep, uh, what do they call the YPG? Um, and I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And right, then, they were like, we need to support the Syrian revolution like five years after the CIA totally co-opted it. It's yeah. like, wait, I like had to blink. I was like, oh, maybe yeah. this is like an article from like 2012. I was like, no. oh, damn. No, the left is, is under full assault. And I'm not, I can't say for sure, but it feels like Cointelpro to me because it's just basically trying to get the left to fight amongst itself about why we shouldn't go invade sovereign nations or fight, help fuel proxy wars in other countries. Like there's a lot of people still on the left who are always like, well, maybe we should, you know, it's, it's, there's always, for some reason now, there's always people on the left who are shitting on other people on the left for not wanting the U S to go to do more wars. Right. It's, it's fucking yeah. incredible. And it needs to be stopped. I don't know how we could stop it. It seem it's a virus um, that's like infected the left. Um, and the, you know, there's even people I used to like and respect who are saying shit now that I find absolutely horrendous um, about about Islam and different things. So I can't. I mean, it's getting really intense. Um, like to to hear the way people are talking about this. And then I don't know if you probably know this organization, Abby. Another socialist like gr- a group or large 
um, organizational group just nominated like a cop to a to some kind of go- uh, like local government position without disclosing that he used to be a cop. Yeah, or he something. organized this for Cleet, Danny Fatante, the yeah. DSA, the not Democratic Socialists of America, and we're waiting on a statement from them because all their members are completely outraged because it was totally under false pretenses that this guy yeah. got elected and he totally lied and obfuscated the fact that he was organizing on behalf of police. I mean, that yeah. police are not allies. Okay, yeah. police unions are not unions. They're fake. They crush workers and organizing. So, yeah, we're waiting on that statement, but I think it really is exemplifies the larger problem with the left right I now. Agree. And I agree. And, and I'm going to say, I mean, I, I, I can't prove this, but I think that it's, it would be within reason that the left is under assault from, from groups and organizations of people who want to destroy the left. I mean, even Absolutely. the Democratic Party, the DNC has enough reason and motivation to want to weaken the the real left um, it, more than almost anybody. I mean, I'm not Wait, saying... Wait, Robbie, you're saying, you're saying that the that we shouldn't work together with people who, who <laughs> their sole priority is crushing the left and yeah. blaming the left for every problem in the entire world? We shouldn't work with those people to it, crush I mean, the deep state? It's just, I, I, it's just, I think that, you know, it's, 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 there's too much of this happening right now for it to be just by accident, like this many people on the left by themselves are confused and don't know what stand to take on police and war. That just doesn't fly for me. And it's, Venezuela, to it's, be oh frank. Oh, yeah, I mean, and Venezuela. Yeah, this shit nuts. is being manipulated. The left is under assault. Um, real progressives and leftists and socialists are under full fucking assault. And nobody's like, there's just not enough people standing up for them. It's like it's under assault from every side. Yeah. And Bernie Sanders and his followers and his movement is like the most mainstream version of that and how you could see how it's under assault. Even people like Jen Kirkman, who's like a political comedian, you know, liberal, just said she goes on a Twitter tirade every week about how Bernie Sanders is a Kremlin agent and then deletes all the tweets every week. It's like a weekly ritual she goes through. And she's like she's not even like a pundit or a political like a person who goes on shows. She's just like a person who is getting the filtered down, like trickled down propaganda. Jesus. So that's what a regular person who's like a Hillary supporter is now led to believe. And it's really disturbing. Well, speaking of polling and, and the shaping of public perception, I mean, I wanted to just really briefly mention this and then we really have to get into North Korea. But it goes along with this is that just after one year of sheer wall-to-wall coverage of anti-Russia hysteria, Americans' po- opinions completely flipped. Now the vast majority of Americans support the new Cold War, 100%. It was like all it took was just a year yeah. of that wall-to-wall propaganda on all news stations, mm-hmm. nonstop, and it worked. It fucking worked. I, I mean— Do you remember mm, where, what me, was this poll from? Um, I am going to find—oh, you know what? I can't get in because I have a paywall. Um, Max tweeted the actual graph that shows the, the divergent paths of the, the, the like graph, you know, like went down to up and then but up to down, does it say where it's but I from? tried to open it. It was either Washington Post or New York Times that I can't even read okay. anymore. Cause I, cause you can only read well, five I mean, articles a month or whatever, but yeah, it's just I mean, shocking. I think it's accurate. Yeah. I'm not. No, totally. That. I mean, it's basically, it like went up like 20 points or something in support over just one year. Sorry that I don't have the numbers, but I do have the numbers for North Korea. And that's kind of similar that when you just parade around general after general defense contractor after defense contractor and, and are pushing this threat of North Korea, um, people are going to buy it. 
How do you think the Iraq war happened? Propaganda works. Um, let me read you this, this stat really quickly, which is that, you know, for the first time in 27 years of polling on the issue, the majority of Americans support using U.S. troops to defend South Korea in the event of an attack. Um, American support for military action against North Korea grew from 47% just two years ago up to 62% in the council's latest poll just this Holy month. Holy fuck. Except the survey found that a preemptive attack is still not as popular. Only 28% of Americans favor sending U.S. troops to destroy its facilities with, like, nothing being done in the North at all. Like, uh, like 30% of Americans already support just sending in U.S. troops to destroy their nuclear facilities. 40% favor conducting airstrikes. Isn't that insane? With preemptive. Preemptive. Yeah. So that's that's what wall-to-wall propaganda does. Trump gets out there and he says, he says, um, North Korea best not make any more threats to the U.S. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. You sick, sadistic fuck. Yeah. Fire and fury like the firebombing, like, like the, like the obliteration of North Korea. Fire and fury like that, like killing off almost the entire population. Fire and fury like like sent dropping one bomb for almost every civilian in the entire country. Fire and fury like that, Trump. It, it was you know it's one thing to hear him talk like that before he became president about bombing the shit out of people and getting audiences to cheer for him and stuff like that. But hearing it, him say that now as president from a fucking golf club, golf <laughs> resort, and with that disgusting like those lip movements he does and those that weird open mouth like teeth showing shit those the mannerisms he has like uh, fire and fury like the world has never seen (laughs) never seen like just the way he taught it's it's horrifying i mean i just like and the fact that we're, we're there's literally people progressives who saw that video and who are still obsessing about the Awan brothers and Debrie Wasserman Schultz while we're on the cusp of possibly a preemptive strike on a country that's like North Korea, I mean, is absolutely astonishing. It just shows how good this controlled opposition lockstep media propaganda is to just to take people's eye off of Trump and his actual policies. It's amazing, Robbie. This And this is coming from Fox News. So, of course, this is on top of the sanctions, right? The billion-dollar sanctions. So, Fox News, ready? UN Security Council voted unanimously to induce a set of punishing sanctions that could cost North Korea almost a billion dollars off its $3 billion annual export revenue. That's a lot of fucking money. That's a third of their GDP. Um, and then it says this is the highest and harshest sanctions levied at Pyongyang in a decade. Um, And this is, of course, this is what Fox News says. Ready? This is payback for its testing of two intercontinental ballistic missiles last month. Those tests, plus word that the rogue regime may have miniaturized nuclear weapons, has brought the world to the brink of war. Those them testing missiles on their own land. And having a nuclear weapons program is has brought the world to war, even though DPRK has a no strike first policy. Right. Even though it has seen what happens to Saddam, to Gaddafi, once they uh, give up their nuclear weapons arsenal, once they give up their chemical weapons arsenal, crushed. Right. Regime change immediately. How dare you? How dare you say this has brought the world on the brink of war? Really? It's not the overt threats every day. It's not the constant war games around Korea. That's it. It's not it's not us. It's not the empire. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's so, um, artificial. I mean, just because their ICBM capability is like marginally better than it was a few years ago, it is absolutely not, it does not make logical sense why this shit has ramped up this hard, this quickly. Like this is, they've been waiting for this moment. It's almost like, I think this is, and, and, and this is just my own personal take. And I think, but I think there's a lot of evidence to back it up, especially with Assad's chemical weapons attack, especially with MH17, is that oftentimes we wait for an opportunity to arise for us to do something about it. And in this case, it's almost like we were waiting for Kim Jong-un to start making more crazy threats. And as soon as he did, you know, we seized on it and made it seem like they're very credible, serious Mm -hmm. threats all of a sudden. I mean, that's pretty much all it is in in my mind. Like, it's nothing more than just us waiting for this opportunity to come. And we've probably already gamed it all out. I mean, like, in terms of, like, what, you know, like, what we can do as a countermeasure for North Korea— and someone in Trump's administration decided to flip the switch and wait for one of these contingency plans to arise about, you know, and this opportunity came around. And they just used this little window, you know, these ICBM tests, which North Korea has been doing repeatedly this whole time as a means to, like, escalate things. And, it's of so course, North Korea yeah. is going to respond in kind with their rhetoric. And all they're threatening is b- sending a missile to Guam. Like that's the, it's not even they're not even threatening to send a missile to Japan. I don't even believe that story. Or you mean the actual like the statement yeah. that came out? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, if it's real or if it's not, I mean, even if it is real and it's from their official government and it's not been like manipulated. Yeah. And that you take that statement at face value. Um, why the fuck do we have troops in Guam? Why do we have so <laughs> many people in Guam? Six thousand American servicemen. Still so you're telling me that if. That if let's just say in theory, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, and I don't, and like you said, it might not even be true. North Korea does that and kills six thousand American service members. That that's that that's a justified reason to like attack the heart of their actual country. I mean, let's face it, America is all over the planet. Like we constantly have the endless excuse. Anytime anyone, you know, attacks anywhere, there's a chance that an American service member might be killed. So we can probably always use that as a way to be like, well, they attacked America. You know, it's t- now we got to attack them. I mean, I'm not saying it's like that, but it's like, I I mean, we like we are an empire. We have troops all over the goddamn planet. And and yeah, when you look at military personnel, it literally is almost every country on Earth. It's yeah. far beyond the 70 percent of um, actual special operations yeah. going you, on. Any country can throw a stone anywhere and be like, well, they attacked us. Like, they attacked well, us. No, they didn't. And how, we have and troops literally everywhere, dude. How disgusting is it to the level of dehumanization against North Korean people? Yeah. Um, aside from their government, they're, they're, they are looked at from Americans and, and a lot of other Westerners as automatons, mm-hmm. robots, um, unthinking, just people who deserve to be obliterated. Like every time you see pundits and stuff talking about the situation, like when people bring up the mass civilian casualties that will undoubtedly happen if we we start this military war with North Korea, they only talk about South Korean lives. Oh, if you're okay with 25 million South Koreans being vaporized or killed, it's like, well, you know that there's North Koreans too, right? (laughs) Like it's just so weird the way that people talk about it. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, the dehumanization is a core component to this. I mean, mm-hmm. it's similar to, 
if you really roll back the clock to when these, let's just go back to Russiagate for a second in the in the anti-Russian hysteria. If you really roll it back, and we've talked about this before, is they were actually using the propaganda tactic of humanizing the Russian people, even though they were deliberately distorting what was happening with like Pussy Riot and the gay law. That was their tactic at first. And then it, and then it's like not even there anymore. Like the now, it's like the Russian people are just like all Putin sycophants and Trump lovers, and they don't know any better. You know, it's like it's not even like they're trying to promote Ru- Russian democracy. Some of the neocons were trying to like promote all those protests against Putin that were happening recently, but that's almost like a, I don't know, it's like barely their priority anymore to humanize the Russian people. So it's yeah, I mean, I don't even remember. I don't. I can't remember a time where we were trying to humanize the North Korean people and understand what their situation was like. As and we speak, Jake Tapper is sitting there with James Clapper talking about fire and fury on Kim Jong Un. How how amazing! Sorry, I just saw CNN. Unbelievable. Yeah, mom said, Hayden's uh, on next, baby. Yeah, I think Michael Hayden's coming on next. Mom said she was watching. Uh, either CNN or probably CNN yesterday. And the, there was um, there was basically just such a consensus about the, you know, people were expressing fear over Trump's rhetoric, but there wasn't like, an, there wasn't very much pushback against the actual like idea of we have to do something about North Korea. And Jeffrey Tubin of all people interrupted, like the panel was like, I can't believe what you guys are saying right now. This is crazy. Like, why are you talking like this? This is really That's dangerous. Great. I mean, and he's a fucking, like, neoliberal dumbass, isn't he? Like, yeah. I don't even really know what his politics are, but yeah. it's like, you know, it's rare to have, a, a like, a voice of reason come through on a panel like that, but, yeah, shit is getting really hot really fast. Talk and, about uh, what Tillerson is saying, too, and Mattis. Well, yeah, there's this is the thing with the Trump administration is there's always mixed extremely mixed messages coming out of the administration that makes things more actually more confusing and scary. And I don't think this is, this isn't 10 D chess or whatever the fuck, you know, Trump supporters thinks Bannon is doing. This is just disorganization. This reminds me of when Pence was telling Tim Kaine that we're going to overthrow Assad during the vice presidency debate. And Tim Kaine was like, but that's not your, that's not the president's platform. And he was right. It wasn't. But for some somehow, Trump and Pence never discussed their platform on Syria before the debate. <laughs> they great. didn't. And this is an anti-regime change candidate. So sorry, I went on a tangent. But Tillerson actually said, and you know, in a in a in, and it was a very bleak press conference where he was basically, you know, ninety percent of what he said was bullshit. Like neocon style, you know, like, well, you threaten us this is unacceptable. We're going to have to do something. But in the middle of what he said about North Korea, he actually said something very interesting, which is very Obama administration like, like about Iran or another country or Cuba, where Tillerson said, quote, we are not your enemy. We are not your threat, but you are presenting an unacceptable threat to us and we have to respond. And then he continues to say, we would like to sit and have a dialogue about the future. Our other options are not attractive. And Tim Chirac, who I think is like sort of my go-to, I mean, I think he's like the best person on North Korea. He's pretty much my go-to on where, you know, where things are going with North Korea. And he was like, the media is not, is ignoring this. Like, why is the media ignoring this? Like, this should be like, yeah, why don't we do this? Like, why can't we have a sit and have a dialogue? 
And then he's just like, I don't understand it. You know, they're they're talking about how the Trump administration is going full regime change rhetoric right now, but nobody's talking about how there was this mention of, well, we should sit down and talk. I mean, and why not do that? Like, why wouldn't, like, why would that be off the table, like dialogue with a country like North Korea? Because they're too crazy. They're too, I mean, what is the, what is the, what's the argument against it? Right. There is really no argument against it. Just like having talks with any other adversarial, having talks with Russia. I mean, like that's, and now that's even considered ridiculous. Like, why? Why would this not be an, this should always be the first priority before any military option is considered. Really funny side note is that the the media had a field day too with Putin's vacation. <laughs> Did you see that was like oh, shirtless the sh- vacation? Yeah, the shirtless pictures, but it was great yeah. too because they because they even went as far as being like he's trying to threaten us with like these photos and it's like no he's just because Trump is like too much of like a fucking pampered little baby and who's never probably like gutted a fish in his life or like even like gone on a hike. Other than like his golf course, I don't think that Putin just going on vacation is a threat, is like some sort of ominous message to us about how strong he is. I think it just shows how insecure you are about Trump being our president, SARS. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, baby. Um, and then it was funny is, is all the neocons, they, so, you know, a lot of the neocons and neoliberals, they still think Mattis is great. And they love this, um, this new guy, John Kelly. They still love McMaster. Um, and they were all like, yeah, Mattis is, you know, he's the real, he, he's, he's telling it to North Korea like it should be. Like he's not using hyperbolic, crazy language like Trump. And what he said about North Korea is, virt- I mean, to me, it's almost as bad. Mattis said um, about North Korea that the DPRK should cease any consideration of actions that would lead to the end of its regime and the destruction of its people. The destruction of its people, like wow. genocide, a wow. mushroom cloud. What is it? What wow. kind of what kind of feelings does that evoke? That evokes nuclear holocaust. That the destruction the of its people. Hiroshima, Nagasaki destruction. Yeah, that's not like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna take out your government and your people. You know, we really are concerned about your people. It's just really crazy how there's very. I mean, going back to what you said, starting discussion. How much dehumanization there is at play? There are people there. I mean, there millions just, and millions of people and, and who it's, are it's, totally innocent. I mean, what the fuck? Like, and 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 this is. And should we? I guess should we move to the Hiroshima anniversary now? Or no, should no, we? no, 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 no. I wanted to read one okay. really quick thing because yeah. I, uh, this is really important. Okay, so I know that we've mentioned this before, and I and I briefly mentioned the devastation that took place in North Korea, but I think that people really need to understand what the U.S. did to that country. And I'm just going to read a little quick excerpt from General MacArthur himself. 635,000 tons of bombs, basically mostly napalm, were dropped by the U.S. Biblical devastation, he says. Um this is what this is what MacArthur says. He says the war in Korea had almost already destroyed the nation of 20 million people. I've never seen such devastation. I have seen, I guess, as much blood and disaster as any living man, and it just curled my stomach the last time I was there. I looked at the wreckage and those thousands of women and children and everything. I vomited. The former Supreme Commander continued, If you go on indefinitely, you are perpetuating a slaughter such as I have never heard of in the history of mankind. And, and then it goes on to say that the war leveled at least half of 18 of the 22 major cities. 
Um, Pinyongang, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, a city of half a million people before 1950 was said to have had only two buildings left intact. Like I said before, one bomb for almost every civilian. And aside from that, the ordinances, no one really talks about, you know, we talk about war and, and casualties. And what about the bombs that are left? What about the unexploded ordinances in these countries? Um, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Japan, North Korea. In the in in the past ten years, this one one guy, one guy out of like multiple tactical teams that are just dedicated to eradicating the land of exploded ordinances, which will never be done. Even in a hundred years, it won't be done. This guy says in the last ten years, he's already lost five colleagues to explosions. He also has a giant scar in his left cheek from a bomb disposal mission gone wrong. So here we are, 64 years after the war. Thousands of bombs, mortars, pieces of lime ammunition still litter the countryside in North Korea, and they're still going off every day. Virtually all of it is American-made. Um, and uh, again, yeah, just the whole... Uh, oh, oh, last October, 370 were found in a nearby elementary school playground. Holy fuck. North Koreans claim 400,000 bombs were dropped alone on the main city. Roughly one bomb for every resident at the time. So well, this is, sense. I think I mean, we need to understand the legacy here. Well, this is why there's not, you don't see movies about the Korean War very much. Or like, it's kind of almost partly, I think, partly erased from the history books because it was such a slaughter. I mean, it's in some ways it was actually way crazier than even the Vietnam War was in terms of what we did. I mean, it was more bombing, more just like straight up carpet bombing, like just basically more genocide type activity than we did in Vietnam. Um, and uh, one of the things that I think people are just completely unaware of about the North, uh, I'm sorry, the Korean War was that the U.S. government here was a, a hair away from launching a nuclear bomb in North Korea. They, right. they, I mean, it was all over the news. There's propaganda news reels constantly running in the 50s saying, should Truman, I mean, I have it in a very heavy agenda. There's a clip where it's like, Truman is considering dropping the, the bomb on the Chinese hordes. Like, da-da-da-da, like what would happen if, you know, and it shows Truman like holding up a like a thing about, I mean, it's just, it was it was ramping up to that degree back then. Luckily, it didn't happen. But when you really consider the amount of bombs we dropped, I mean, ultimately, it almost, it's almost the same, like the amount of damage we did, just minus the radiation fallout from a nuke. Can you imagine if that happened here? <laughs> I mean, like people, it's like not only this dehumanization of North Koreans, but just the complete absence of, of understanding that we obliterated the entire area. Yeah. Two buildings were left. Yeah. A bomb for every person, hundreds of thousands of unexploded ordinances. Like I just said, that all in, a, in elementary school playgrounds to this day. Do yeah. people understand that? And I mean, and it, I don't think they do. I really don't think most people are even remotely aware of it. They just think the North Koreans, you know, we they they kicked our ass bad enough where we, you know, didn't end up winning a war. And that's <laughs> all that we're taught in school is like, oh, it's a stalemate, you know. It, whatever like we had to split the country in two because we just didn't win like that's all i remember being taught in school i don't remember being taught anything else about the casualties or why we did it in the first place right um 
you know, the domino theory is the only explanation given to, to us as children. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really, uh, it's, it's, and also Eisenhower before leaving office did that speech on the military industrial yeah. complex. And this is the war that he had to, that he, you know, he inherited from Truman and that he ended, even though he did a lot of horrible shit in North Korea, I think that in a lot of ways, that's why he said those things about the military right. industrial complex because of the Korean war and the devastation in the amount of how it was basically a fucking fire sale for the military industrial complex. I mean, if even general MacArthur was saying that shit and like vomited, yeah, uh, like just the, the thought of how much they destroyed. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a reason why you don't hear very many um, veterans talking about the Korean War. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's one of those weird forgotten wars, sort of in between generations. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in in in, and I think people should really check out Tim Sherrock's writings on the devastation there. Um, he's constantly bringing it up. It's no laughing matter how many people we killed. I mean, and, over and a course- million. Easily. Yeah, and of course the propaganda coming out of there is is virtually um, unverified. I mean, none of it's verifiable, first of all, and so they just latch on to whatever. It kind of reminds me of Venezuela, except of course worse because it's a more closed off society. Mm-hmm. But it's just outrageous. I mean, really, you should never take anything that you read about North Korea at face value. You should always take it with a grain of salt. I just saw an article the other day about some defector who was basically made famous by America and South Korean officials who's now just back in North Korea. It's like you see these people like pop up. It's like you hear stories about, you know, Kim, Kim Jong-un like slaughtering people within his cabinet. And then those people will just be alive the next year. And it's just, or, or cannibalism is widespread, right? They're selling human, <laughs> human beings, body parts because starvation is rampant. And then you see photos within the country. People are ice skating, um, smoking pot, um, having picnics. And it's just like, what in the hell is going on? It's just, you know, it reminds me of that story in Venezuela where we complete fa- completely false because, of course, these people could just give whatever they want to the media and they'll just print it. You know, and in Venezuela, there was a story about how they were so starving that they broke into the zoo and ate a horse. Holy shit. <laughs> it's just like, what? It's like, who prints this? Um, but let's let's wrap it up with Hiroshima because we went to the Hiroshima Museum. This is the dropping of the nuclear bombs still is such a strong myth that underpins the U.S. empire and really kind of cultivates that American exceptionalism, that feel-good notion that that we ended the war, that we used this show of force to end the war and save lives, and it couldn't be farther from the truth, and it's been debunked so many times from, from all of the cabinet involved, and all of the inner military officials have all debunked the fact that this was necessary, just, and that it did anything to remotely save lives, and that Japan was on the brink of surrender. I mean, it just comes again uh, after 72 years as Japan is humbly pleading to the world to disarm nuclear weapons and to live in a world without nukes. Here we are on the verge of another nuclear war. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's, it's truly incredible to me, Abby, how this long after World War II, <clears throat> Americans in general are still repeating and parroting the propaganda that was like indoctrinated to them as children, right. um, that they're still teaching children and adults through propaganda, like places like NPR. And I'll go into this in a second of like why it was justified, what we did and why it wasn't 
a, basically a holocaust of our own. You know, if you want to talk about the Holocaust, the Holocaust, and you know that the Germans perpetrated on the on the Jews and a lot of other minority groups, you also, I think, have to mention the other Holocaust that America conducted on Japan, because there's really no other way to describe it: dropping an atomic bomb on a civilian population than a Holocaust. I mean, I just don't, or or a form of genocide in of itself. So, I mean, to me, that's. That's that's how you have to stand in that truth. Otherwise, it's just it's just kind of either you're indoctrinated to some degree by American propaganda, or you're just not facing reality about what we actually did. You're too filled with this notion that America acts through altruism and that we had to do it for some reason or another. And and growing up, we were taught that well, it saved lives. It, it was a quick ending to the war, and that's the reason why it was justified to do. Um, and I think that that rationale sort of, you know, it doesn't really stand up over time. So they needed to add more stuff to it to explain to us why. Like on NPR um, the other month, I heard this long intellectual debate. You know, it wasn't really a debate. Both guys on the panel were basically arguing the same point of view, that that basically the Japanese were such fierce fighters and such dedicated soldiers that they would fight to the very last man. So therefore, we had to kill 200,000 people, a million people, if we want to count the deaths from the fallout and cancer, uh, to do that. Because, Abby, they were going to fight to the last man. Yeah, Robbie, they weren't going to back down. When you're worried that someone's going to win a war, you might as well just bomb, you know, just murder almost a million people, you know, in a flash of light. At least two hundred thousand a flash of light. I mean, you might as well do that because if they're not going, if you're not going to win, I mean, basically, what does that say about us? First of all, we're the most, we're the biggest fucking babies on the planet for saying we were surprise attacked by Pearl Harbor after we cut off their oil supply in the Dutch East Indies, waging economic right. warfare against them. What do you think's going to happen, you fucking babies? Right. Sorry, that's what you get. It's not a surprise when that happens. It's not right. a surprise. So, it was also a military target. It's also a military target. Um, so it's not like Japan came and bombed um, fucking Honolulu. Can you imagine if they did that? Oh, my God. No. So this is just what's so absurd about the way that we view ourselves and how we give ourselves this pat on the fucking back for being surprise attacked. First of all, we weren't. Um, you know, And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we purposely stood down to give us a reason to go into the war. The interception um, of the communique, et cetera. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence to show that there were there were um, miniature kamikaze subs of going into Pearl Harbor's uh, perimeter like four hours before the planes came, and are in in the higher ups of the military like like literally told the people who j- just destroyed a miniature Japanese sub that they were like lying on the boat. They were like basically telling him, "Oh, that's that didn't happen." And they like refused to like report it to the higher up commanders on on the actual base, and and just like the USS Liberty, these men who were in the ship that survived that shot the Japanese sub are like astonished that they don't understand why still that the commanding officer didn't listen to them, and just didn't pass on the order. So interesting. That's still a mystery. Just like in the USS Liberty is not really a mystery. We fucking know what happened. Right. Israel tried to get us in, sucked into their war by attacking our ships. Blatantly right. obvious. Um, but the yeah, the Japanese, the propaganda that we're taught about Japan is 
disgusting. And and so what? Even if it were true that the Japanese were that right. dedicated to fighting, so what? That means they win. Yeah, so many that people means they win, dude. Saying, I'm sorry. So, it's like it's yeah. not a not a justified reason to mer- to to commit a holocaust. It just and doesn't, the amount of people who say they started it. It's like okay, so can Iraq Iraqis come and, and drop two nukes on Manhattan and L.A. Then, yeah, exactly. Is that, is that your justification for now how we conduct wars yeah. legitimately? Yeah. Okay, good to know that that's what you think. Yeah. That Afghanistan can come and nuke San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's, it's full-on empire baby syndrome. It really, I think Hiroshima is really. If you had like a like a like a. Depi- like a pictorial depiction, some kind of graph yeah. or bub- like chart about empire baby syndrome, there it would be so many circles overlapping with Hiroshima. <laughs> like that's the crux of, to me, right. if we, if all Americans really fully acknowledge what we did there and how horrific it was in the same way Germans have acknowledged the Holocaust mm-hmm. and how horrific it was, we would be in a far better place as a society, I think. Um, I couldn't agree more. We would be, it would just be a more honest, authentic way to live in truth as like um, the American legacy. Like we do with, at least we talk about the Native American genocide now. At least we talk about slavery and how brutal it was and how immoral and horrible it was. But for some reason, we're still in this, um, in this post-World War II propaganda wave this much later. And it's really strange, actually. Because, because I think... Uh, um, and I guess you could argue this with slavery as well and the genocide of Native Americans, obviously, which was really underpinned the success of capitalism in this country in the early 20th century. But you really when it comes to exceptionalism abroad and selling the empire and the dominance of the U.S. empire started with the dropping of the nukes, where we reinforced that we were the dominant empire, that we were taking the spoils and that it was up to us moving forward. And I think that that that's why that myth is so important to maintain. Um, but yeah. that's even more the reason why we need to keep bringing it up. And especially with newer generations, I get our grandparents' generation. I get it, but I don't get our generation and I don't get anyone else who buys into this bullshit. No. And even and like, let's talk about our, our grandpa for a second, because he, you know, he had one of the most, you know, he didn't, actually get sent overseas to fight in world war ii but he saw another horrible side of world war ii that's that's also very uh, still very downplayed in our society the internment of the japanese in the camps um he 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 was he had to visit most of the japanese internment camps um japanese were literally living in horse stables in some of these internment camps that's the conditions they were in and most of them were in the fucking desert okay in like the west coast so, um, he, and he felt guilty about it not long after, I mean, he felt guilty about it at the time. Like he was cognizant enough to know it was wrong at the time. And later on, he felt enormously guilty about it. Um, you know, to the point where he wanted to like make, you know, reach out to like Japanese exchange students and like make, you know, like have a relationship with like Japanese mm-hmm. families mm-hmm. long after the war. Like mm-hmm. he felt that was really important to him. Um, so it's just it's really sad to me that we had we had we our grandpa went through World War II and understood a lot of this lesson that we're explaining today, but yet people born now are right. just like completely regressed 
back into this like weird, and let's just call it what it is, a sort of American soft fascism. We were drifting towards fascism before World War II. We didn't drift that much out of it afterwards. The 1950s, the conservative 1950s, was not just, didn't just start in 1950. It started directly after World War II. We were, we had a lot of debauchery, um, bootlegging, uh, marijuana was huge in, in the United States leading up to World War II. All that changed in a fucking blink of an eye after World War II. Yep, and we're still paying back for the 60s today. Yeah, look at what eugenics, I mean, we were, eugenics was like a seriously, like, popular thing back in right. the 1930s. I mean, it was like, a, it was not considered that taboo. But yet, you know, after the, the Holocaust, it's like, oh, now we're like, I mean, it's just, it's just so funny how we erase so much of that from our history. And we, were, we weren't fascists at all. Like, we're totally good, you know, we're anti-fascist, but really, are we? I mean, look at the explosion of the the collaboration between corporation and government after World War II. The CIA is practically the the corporation, the corporate uh, empire's army. I mean, that's... Oh, God, yeah. It's just really disturbing to think that we act like, you know, there's no way, you know, the Nazis were so bad and so evil that... There's just no way we can even touch that. I mean, quick, I, quick example. Oh, go on, finish your. Point. I was just going to say. I mean, I I don't think that I think there are a lot of similarities that need to be addressed and acknowledged. Quick, quick point to that to to that end is um, perfect example is Colombia. Um, not only did we basically create the the idea of the paramilitary forces with the national security doctrine under Kennedy to fight the Vatican's um, embrace of like helping the poor and like revamping their the catholicism to be more like rooted in and how the pope is today that was a backlash to that but not only that and not only are we responsible for hundreds of thousands of disappearances murders extrajudicial assassinations rapes and butchering but after that happened robbie and it's still going on to this day but after that happened all the fruit companies chiquita banana dole del monte it came out that that chiquita banana had to pay 25 million dollars uh, over the course of five years because they were funding directly to the paramilitary death squads. But because the death squads and, and these people started to, to be put under scrutiny, once this came out, they started to name names that implicated these U.S. corporations. So what did the U.S. do to protect them? Hmm. Well, they extradited them all to the U.S. and said, no, 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 don't prosecute them in Colombia. Prosecute them here. And so what the U.S. did, and it's just like the Nazis. We brought all the Nazis in Operation Paperclip, and they were all, like, working on these weapon programs. Well, the same thing with these Colombian paramilitary drug lords who are literally responsible for this for as big of crimes as Nazis. Literally, some of these people are responsible for th- thousands of deaths, rapes, um, disappearances, and they are here serving out measly, like, 10-year sentences, only charged for drugs— they're given stipends at the end of their sentences, and their families and friends are brought over here too to protect them, to protect them, and to live out the rest of their lives happily and peacefully in the U.S. Why? To protect the fucking fruit corporations and to not implicate them in the death squads there. So yeah, we really care about human fucking rights. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean it's it's <laughs> it's one of the most laughable things ever. I mean, I just, I just don't even know how the sort of neocon neoliberal consensus in DC can keep up that myth because just, the people believe it Robbie propaganda people look at the polls i mean and the and the contradictory information of all this fake news hysteria and the and the influx of like 
just the vastness of, of actual disinfo um, and the overload of information, I think that people are completely overwhelmed. I mean, it, which is sad because it's like it's so obvious what outlets we should trust. Mm -hmm. It's the grassroots funded outlets who don't like real news network. I mean, I look at that. They don't take state money and they don't take corporate money. So so their interest really is in the grassroots people. And they're basically saying the same things that we are. So, I mean, when you remove that, it becomes very clear. But propaganda works. Billions of dollars thrown into propaganda does work. They wouldn't do it if it didn't. And it's up to us to reverse that trend. Media literacy, critical thinking, support the journal. It's like, how sad is it that journalists now are just begging for donations to survive? That's where we're at. We're yeah. the society that loves to glorify journalists and, and um, the you know newsroom mm -hmm. and all these different movies. And then we don't pay them. And, and people are just depending on Patreon yeah. to do work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's sad, but I mean, at the same time, like maybe, you know, may, I'm hoping that people, independent journalists will start to value independent investigative journalism mm -hmm. once again and mm -hmm. not get, you know, it's, it's easier Let's just be real. It's easier to make money on Patreon and and on YouTube clicks or whatever if you just, you know, chase the headlines every mm -hmm. day and release commentary every day about what's going on in the news. And there's people who I like, you know, that do that. But I just think that it's crucial right now. There's there's investigative journalism in so many areas that needs to be done. And there's just not enough people to do it out there. And... um and I think that's where the real value of journalism comes in is like what you did in Venezuela. I mean, that's, that's huge. Like what you were able to accomplish in Venezuela. And, uh, I just really hope we see more of that. And yeah, it is a really sad state when, you know, some, some really good investigative journalists have to fund themselves on Patreon, but in a way that maybe that's good that we, we have, you know, we can do that now. Right. Whereas before, you know, and as Patreon is not, I mean, I'm not saying they're a great company, but um, they haven't reached the level of like Google and these other giant conglomerates yet. Once they do, I'm sure they will start clamping down mm -hmm. on certain types of speech. Absolutely. Um, and of course, the alt-right's already claiming that they're censoring all them, even though it's going down and anti-fascist Patreon account was also shut down. So just like any controversial speech, corporation might eventually shut it down. So... You know, there's other avenues that are probably better. Um, you know, SoundCloud's going to be shut down overall eventually. So. Oh, yeah. The, yep. And let's end on that note because everyone should be following us. If you follow us on SoundCloud, we're really devastated because we've been paying a premium subscription for years and years. And we've hosted all of our things on here. And it's kind of sad to think that all of our comments, all the likes and and feedback from you guys is just going to be gone. Yeah. Um, and we always appreciated SoundCloud because we thought the interface was really user friendly and easy and to navigate and stuff. And so it's just it's just it sucks, um, but it's not over. Please, you know, get our get our broadcast from from iTunes as well and um, subscribe and, and rate us on there. And we'll yeah. and we'll upload our stuff to other. We'll try to find out any other platforms and stuff. If you guys have any ideas, let us know. Yeah, and it sucks. It's like iTunes, unfortunately. I, I fucking hate yeah. Apple as a corporation, but like, it's one of the best ways to get your message out now. Is they, you know, they let you put podcasts on there still that mm -hmm. that have controversial content. Like they haven't taken ours down yet, 
mm-hmm. mean, so that's good. You know, that's good for now. I think we should always use these resources as long as they're available to us, but we shouldn't count on them forever. Right. Just like what happened with YouTube recently where right. they started just demonetizing tons of, you know, even some milk toast independent progressive people. So, you know, that once that happens, you know something is very wrong and you cannot depend on these corporations. You just can't. No, none of them have your interest at heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening. It was such a great conversation. There's so much more to say, you know, the Trump boy scout speech and the, and telling police to abuse people, but that, that can all be for next time. I'm sure we'll have uh, many things happen between now and the next episode, but it was great talking to you, Robbie, and always makes me feel better to, to vent and, um, know that people listening really, really agree. And they're just as pissed. So let us know what you think, give us your feedback and, Thank you so much for supporting uh, Media Roots Radio and donating to our Patreon and helping all of our work. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will just reiterate what Abby said. Please go to our Patreon page and donate. We're trying to reach a goal of $500 per episode um, to incentivize us to do four episodes per month. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I mean... It just takes time and energy, and uh, you know, it's it would be very helpful if you could, um, you know, support us monetarily. And, you know, and, and you can do it as low as one dollar per creation. So, um, we really appreciate the donations we've gotten so far, and uh, we're just still trying to get the hang of the Patreon system. So, if you send us a message on there, and you don't get a response, please tweet at me or you know message our media roots email address info at mediaroots.org or uh, reach one of us that way thank you so much everyone and have a wonderful day thank you bye